I'm Christy Hemingway, host of Ed Curation, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Emily Amick, Managing Director of Programs at Power My Learning, strengthening student-teacher-family learning relationships to significantly impact student achievement. What a cool show. Thanks for listening. And then, by the way, it would be so cool if you would go to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews, and uh, left a review for me. Could you do that, please? Thanks so much. You're awesome. Enjoy the show. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Emily Amick is an experienced teacher, coach, and professional developer. In her role as Managing Director of Programs at Power My Learning, she leads the strategic planning and development of capacity-building programming for educators and families. Emily is committed to advancing equitable educational outcomes by elevating family voice and helping teachers and leaders leverage the strengths of their students' families. She has a BA in mathematics from New York University and a master's in secondary education from UNC Chapel Hill. She lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania with her husband and two teenage children and enjoys reading fiction, petting dogs, and drinking coffee. Emily, thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Oh, thank you so much for having me here, Steve. It's really an honor. Hi, everyone. Well, glad to have you. And uh, we're, we're going to talk about a few things. And uh, let's start this place. Uh, you know, before we talk about Power My Learning, let's talk about you. In your bio, it says, Emily Amick is an experienced teacher, coach, and professional developer. What have you liked the most about being a coach? Oh, what a great question. Um, You know, teaching is just such important, thoughtful work, and teachers deserve to have a supportive coach to serve as a thought partner and even sometimes as a cheerleader, a co-planner, an extra set of eyes. So I've just been so privileged to do that work for many years, and I love learning from and with smart, talented, dedicated teachers. Very cool. Very cool. The uh, um, So just got to ask, uh, you got any great like hiccups or good story or something like that that goes with or something memorable that goes with being a coach? I mean, (laughs) many, many uh, years of experiences of working with teachers, both both, uh, novice and veteran teachers. Um, I think overall, I don't know that there's like a really great charming anecdote, but I just think that my years in other teachers' classrooms have just made me a stronger teacher myself, and it's it's been a joy. Well, that's that's cool. That's uh, you know it's something because um, I do some coaching and stuff like this, and it's in some ways I kind of wish I had started off that way, or because <laughs> I, I learned some interesting things that I wish I had done when I was a classroom teacher. So very cool. Uh, let's shift to power my learning. Um, what I'd like you to do is, can you talk about what its purpose is? I mean, why does it exist? Absolutely. Power My Learning is a national nonprofit that unlocks the power of collaboration between families, educators, and students. And we envision this as a triangle of learning relationships, 
When teachers and families are allies in the learning process, more than simply engaged with one another, great things happen for students. Our work is focused on building capacity for all sides of this triangle. And we do this through our evidence-based programming, including workshops and coaching for teachers and workshops for families in three program areas, which are learning acceleration, social emotional learning, and culturally responsive education. Very cool, very cool. So before we go any further, I gotta ask you this. Um, so your title is Managing Director of Programs at Power My Learning. So what do you do? Uh, well, as the Managing Director of Programs, I lead a team of developers and program implementers. I get to be a part of the strategic planning and oversee all of the development of the, our programs for both teachers and families. And, you know, my goal in this role is really to build programs that empower families and build teacher capacity, ultimately advancing equitable outcomes for students. Very nice. The uh you know, Power My Learning emphasizes strengthening student-teacher-family relationships. Uh, what does this have to do with doing better at schoolwork? Yeah, our, the Power My Learning Triangle is actually a proven approach for K-12 teachers and leaders to improve student outcomes, both academically and with respect to social-emotional learning skills. Um, I'll try to draw a little picture, if I can, and kind of walk through those relationships so we can see how each of them relates to outcomes for students. Uh, so we've got this triangle here, and there's at the base are teachers and families, and uh, the at the top are students, and the sides of the triangle are represented with arrows that point in both directions, right? So these arrows represent learning relationships between the people at the corners, and they point both ways because these relationships are about shared power and shared responsibility. So the teacher-family learning relationship is the base because this is the foundation of student success. And when this relationship is at its best, it is based on trust and includes consistent two-way communication and especially communication that's linked to learning so that families and teachers are working together to support student learning goals. And so a lot of the work that we do with teachers is really helping them build their mental models around what this learning relationship can look like in practice, and then equipping them with the skills, the strategies, helping them develop systems to invite families in and to sustain this allyship. Uh, on the left side of the triangle, we've got the learning relationship between the teacher and the student. Uh, this relationship is characterized by understanding of students as whole people, right? So what, you know, what interests them? What drives them? What do they know? How do they prefer to learn? What do they need? And students have an understanding of their teacher as someone who cares about them someone who's working in their interest. So when this relationship, this teacher-student learning relationship is healthy, the child feels safe and seen by their teacher and they know how to access the teacher and other learning supports when they need them. And then the, the third learning relationship on the, on the right side of the triangle, this is between the family and the student. So when this relationship is thriving, families really have a sense of efficacy around supporting their child's learning. And I want to make sure I'm clear here that this is not about the family partner teaching the child math or science or any other content. It's about children and their families having fun 
and connecting while they're learning uh, without the, the tension that can sometimes exist around homework or report cards, right? In this learning relationship, families can move away from a role of being a homework enforcer and towards being a learning supporter. And this feels so much different for both the adult and the child. Yeah, you got, you got me smiling there because uh, I seem to recall, uh, you know, I have, I have two boys and they're all out in the work world and will greatly appreciate the fact that I'm talking about them on my podcast. Um, but, the, you, know, it's, you know, it's one of those things that I, I think a lot of families can talk about how you kind of have this blah, that kind of develops around the homework sometimes, especially if there's not a lot of information about how to pr- proceed, how to start, whatever. You know, you know, when I was in school, a lot of it centered around just do the um, – I gave you these three examples and they give you the easiest examples and then they give you the ones that there's no answers in the back of the book. So you don't know how to check your stuff, even if you're just trying to cheat. Um, <laughs> but, you know, how did, I mean, talk about, let's talk a little bit more about this family interaction because the cool, one of the cool things that you're talking about here is kind of bringing the, the, the family together to help with the homework as opposed to, uh, um, Hey, I'm going to my room. I'm going to do my homework and Hey, I'm home from work and now I'm going to sit and look at my phone. Um, <laughs> sorry, not that all dads do that, but you know, or, or parents or whatever. So uh, can you talk a little bit more about that just a little bit? Cause I think that's kind of unique and I think that's kind of neat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the triangle, as I've just described it, it's, it's a beautiful picture, right? But then it's, how do we get there in practice? Um, so at how am I learning? Our approach is really to build the capacity of families and educators to do this work together. Um, We do this through our capacity building programs for teachers and families that I mentioned earlier that are focused on learning acceleration, social emotional learning, and culturally responsive education. And each program has workshops and coaching for the teachers and also workshops for families, right? So our educator workshops and our coaching, they create space for teachers to really deep dive into an area of practice and focus on development of the teacher student and the teacher family learning relationships in that area. Um, And so when we think about the teacher-family learning relationship, a lot of that is about sharing the information with families that they need in order to feel that they can have those engaging experiences with their children at home that are around learning that don't become the fight over homework that you've described and that I think we're all familiar with. Um, So this is things like helping families understand, you know, what their child is doing in school. What do they know? What are they able to do? What are their next steps, right? Uh, Sharing some activities, home learning activities, sometimes games that families can play together so that it's not about getting the right answer, but instead is about just enjoying time together, learning, having some academic conversations at home. Uh, Another strategy that we encourage and find, you know, is research-based and is incredibly effective is putting the child in the role of the teacher, right? So this is sometimes called the protege effect or learning by teaching, but it really takes all of that uh, pressure off of the family partner to be the expert. 
and instead positions the student as the expert. And so they're developing confidence. They're acquiring some agency over their learning as they're teaching a family partner at home. So these are the kind of, uh, you know, skills and strategies that we might share with teachers and with families. So when families come to our workshops, you know, these are fun, interactive opportunities for them to really connect with one another and build up their confidence and their skill set around supporting that learning at home, communicating with their child's teachers and advocating for their child's needs. Excellent. That's, I appreciate you explaining that. So I, I got to use this opportunity to, to, to say this before we go any further. Um, with Power My Learning, how did, is it targeted towards a school or school system or families as, as a family, or, you know, the, the, that individual student, and then they bring the family in? How, can you talk about that? Yeah, we partner with schools and districts uh, to provide this programming, and then they uh, make the programming available to teachers and families within the schools. But we always go through through the school or district. Excellent. So. So is there a certain level of technology that's required? I mean, like you got to have a, a laptop or a Chromebook or something like that? Or uh, So that's a great question. Some in We have a presence in uh, Los Angeles and in New York City where we provide some in-person services. So we may go into schools, work directly with teachers face-to-face, uh, but we have the ability to work with teachers nationwide. And so those services are delivered remotely. So we do workshops remotely, coaching remotely, and also a lot of family workshops. Okay, so we also have an innovative uh, tool for teachers called Family Playlists. Family Playlists are home learning activities that teachers can share with families via text message. They uh, support students in engaging in home learning activities with their families in the areas of math and ELA for students in grades K through 2. These are offline uh, fun games for kids to play with their families uh, and involve videos modeling the activities and the opportunity for families to record videos of their child explaining the concept to send back to the teacher so the teacher has insight into how the child is learning at home. Very cool. Thank you. The, uh, you know, one of the things I wanted uh, to talk about is, you know, the, pa- the pandemic has put a spotlight on social-emotional learning. Um, how is Power My Learning's approach to social-emotional learning different from other organizations? There are three things that I would call out that I think make our approach different. Uh, first, we approach social-emotional learning through the lens of the triangle. So this is significant because I hear from teachers fairly often that it feels like they're being asked to shoulder the burden of the impact of the pandemic alone, right? This is true with respect to mitigating the effects of interrupted learning and also the impact on students' social-emotional development. And this isn't really practical or fair, right? Teachers can't do this work alone. And we know that families don't actually expect or want them to. You know, there's study after study being released that's showing that families want to be involved in their child's education. They want to have more insight and more information. So at every step of the way, we're looking at how teachers and families can ally in the support of student social emotional learning. And we're being thoughtful about the social social emotional needs of the adults in the child's life and how they can take care of themselves and each other. 
So, uh, for example, while teachers are learning about implementing uh, trauma-informed best practices in the classroom, they're also learning how to address their own needs. And families are invited to participate in family self-care workshops where they learn about how to recognize when they need self-care and to identify strategies for addressing that need. Um, Another key component to our approach is that we see social emotional learning as an avenue for advancing equitable academic outcomes. And what I mean by that is, you know, humans, we can't learn if we don't feel safe and connected to the people we're with. We need to understand the norms in our environment. We need to be comfortable navigating them. And there has to be a high degree of relational trust in place. And when these things aren't happening, our brains are on high alert for dangers and we can't engage in learning and the sense making that we need for academic success. So our approach helps uh, educators really embrace this mindset and this motivation for incorporating social emotional learning into their classroom, using it as a tool for meeting the academic needs of all of their students. And then the, the third key difference is that we take an approach that integrates social emotional learning with academic instruction. Uh, There's a lot of programs out there designed to meet students' social and emotional needs that ask teachers to explicitly teach these competencies. So this means implementing additional lessons on top of their academic lessons. And it, it might be 10 minutes each day or one class period each week, but however it's structured, it's asking teachers to make time, which means taking time away from something else. So Power My Learning's approach is to help teachers really seamlessly incorporate practices that support healthy social emotional development into the work that they're already doing. Thanks. That's, that's cool. That's, uh, you know, making it part of what they do so that, uh, you know, and you're very right. I mean, in this day of the pandemic, there are a lot of adults that are feeling like, uh, yes, their job is to figure out how to solve the, uh, the, the loss of uh, learning going on or, or whatever, as well as everything else. And uh, so that's, that's cool that you work with what they do. I, I like that. The, uh, you know, Speaking of, tra- uh, speaking of uh, pandemic, the, the word trauma gets thrown around a lot also um, today. What, what does this mean to Power My Learning, and what do trauma-informed practices look like in a typical classroom? Yeah, trauma is a physiological and psychological response to a distressing event. Right. It's it's not the event itself. So I may have a traumatic response to an event that's more pronounced or different from the response that you might have to the same event. And this is an important distinction for teachers to understand, because what it means is that we just don't know whether students are experiencing trauma, even if we have some insight into the things that are happening in their lives outside of school. Each of us is going to respond differently. Uh, based on our prior experiences and the network of supports that we have in place. So often when we think about events that induce traumatic responses, we think of things like abuse or neglect or loss of a loved one. Um, And these things can absolutely cause trauma. But there are also trauma inducers that can be harder to pinpoint, but just as harmful. Uh, You know, this might include things like experiencing racism 
or being aware of violence in the community. Uh, and a lot of people have found that the COVID-19 pandemic has elicited a traumatic response for them. So the point is that it, it can be difficult and I would argue counterproductive to try to identify the source of trauma, right? It's not our job to diagnose or detect trauma as educators. Instead, what we can do, what teachers can do is use our understanding of how trauma affects students' ability to learn to inform classroom practices in ways that are going to benefit all of our learners. So what does that look like in the classroom? Uh, one of my favorite practitioner researchers in this field is Alex Chevron Bennett. Uh, and she says that the equity-centered trauma-informed classroom is characterized by predictability, flexibility, empowerment, and connection. So when we think about what those things look like, uh, predictability with flexibility, all about creating warm and consistent classroom rituals, greeting students at the door, having a structured morning meeting, having a plan for transition between activities. Uh, and at the same time, these rituals can't be so rigid that minor deviations is going to feel disruptive or confusing for children. Uh, so that's one aspect. If, if we think about empowerment, right, teachers can support student empowerment by giving children choice. Uh, this might be choice of uh, learning activities, uh, learning product, right? Are you going to do a PowerPoint presentation? Are you going to uh, do an oral presentation, right? Uh, it might be even things like choice of where to sit in the classroom, right? Empowerment is also supported when we help students reflect on their learning and their progress and their interactions with each other. And so those things can happen via exit tickets, journal reflections, one-on-one -on -one feedback conferences. There's lots of practices that we can incorporate to support students in developing that sense of empowerment. And then the last component of the equity-centered trauma-informed classroom is connections or relationships. Um, you know, there's, there's no quick fix for a child or an adult who's experiencing trauma. But what we know is that people who have trusting, supportive relationships in their lives are able to recover from traumatic experiences more fully. And this is where the relationships in the triangle are so important. All students benefit when teachers and families have strong, trusting relationships with the student and with each other. This is especially true for students who may be experiencing trauma and need those connections to help them heal. So there's, there's brain science to support this, um, but, you know, and I'm not a neurologist, but essentially, you know, when we feel love, when we feel trust, uh, our brains release oxytocin. And you can think of oxytocin as the antidote to cortisol, which is the neurotransmitter that gets released when we have a traumatic response. So the, the remedy for trauma is supportive relationships and time. Very cool. You know, one of the things that, uh, and just to note, you see how this kind of fits here together. You know, there's any number of things like you, you said earlier that uh, could fall within the categories of trauma. And uh, um, this is interesting that your focus um, helps deal uh, address that. Uh, you know, 
So, so Emily, what, what strategies do you recommend for families to support their own self-care at home? Well, you know, the first step for caring for yourself is to recognize when you need self-care. And this sounds simple, but one of the hallmarks of being in a state of distress is that we lose perspective. (laughs) So one of the things we do with families is identify some look-fors for when we need to take care of ourselves. You know, having a set of questions like, are there physical signals? Am I getting headaches? Do I have heartburn or indigestion? Um, Am I losing my temper easily? Am I sleeping more than usual or less than usual? So these reflections can help us identify our need for self-care. And then when it comes to doing the care taking for yourself and your family, uh, you know, the actual actions that we take are going to vary widely. Right. So for some people, it's really restorative to spend time with a close friend while others may need some time alone with a good book. Uh, Maybe you find exercise helpful. Right. So I hesitate to give very specific strategies because I think it's very personal. Uh, But there are two general things that I do recommend. Uh, The first is to try to name our emotions. If we can get feelings out in the open and put them into words, sometimes they, they lose some of their power and it can be easier for us to address them. The second thing that really, really helps is mindful breathing. And I will admit that I was skeptical of this before I learned <laughs> about how uh, this works in our brains. You know, deep, careful breaths turn on our parasympathetic nervous system, which moves us out of the fight, flight, or freeze mode. So we can't be both deeply breathing and profoundly panicked at the same time. (laughs) Um, So it helps us enter into a more restful state. So that is a, a, a recommendation that I can make with certainty to anyone who's feeling in a state of distress and needs to center themselves. Cool, because that makes me think while you're talking about that, that we could we take a little journey and talk about the teachers themselves because they can do the same thing, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we um, yeah. One thing that we recommend is incorporating mindfulness practices in the classroom. Uh, so mindfulness, which you can think of as presence without judgment, is a skill that can be taught and learned just like academic skills. So the classroom is a great place to learn it. And the benefits of mindfulness practice at school can be really profound. Uh, studies have shown that mindfulness programs uh, have shown to improve student attention and focus, their metacognitive skills, and help them really reflect on their learning. They also have been shown to reduce stress and anxiety and to improve classroom behavior and peer relationships. So many, many benefits. Um, Many people associate mindfulness with silent meditative practice, and that can certainly be part of your mindfulness practice. But, you know, mindfulness practice can also include things like journaling, movement, observation of your environment. So there are a lot of ways to incorporate mindfulness into our daily routines and into our classrooms. And we encourage teachers to find a practice that works well for them and their students. Very nice. You know, uh, Emily, one of the things that uh, I got to ask you this, if you had the chance to be a keynote speaker at a conference of school and school district administrators, what would you want to make sure that they remembered from your talk? Hmm. 
I would want them to remember first that social emotional learning is at the heart of how we need to address our need to accelerate academic learning. When our brains are experiencing distress, the part of our brain that's responsible for protecting us takes over. And at that point, we can't learn anything new. We can't recall previously learned information. So there is no way to address needs around accelerating academic learning if we don't also address needs around social and emotional well-being. Um, our approach is to help teachers do this through integrating social and emotional learning into their academic instructions so that it doesn't feel like one more thing for teachers. Um, I think a second thing that I would want people to take away from my keynote address is uh, that Power My Learning's Triangle of Relationships is a proven approach for improving student mastery and social emotional learning skills. Uh, our programs have accelerated student learning by up to four months and we have found statistically significant impact on key SEL skills, including student agency, self-efficacy, and sense of belonging. So relationships matter, and this works. Uh, the third thing that I would want people to take away is that the work that we do with teachers and families really does have lasting impact because we are focused on building the capacity of teachers and families to partner as allies and support student success. Excellent. That's awesome. It, and uh, Emily, I can't thank you enough for joining me today, And but, but we're getting close to finishing up. And before we go, um, and before I have the last couple of questions to ask you, um, could you let everyone know where they could connect and learn more? Yeah, you can find information about our capacity building programs for teachers and families at our website, which is www.powermylearning.org. Uh, you can also follow us on social media. We are at Power My Learning on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Excellent. I will put those in the show notes so people can find them very easily. So uh, last two questions, which have nothing to do with what we've been talking about. And uh, the first one goes like this. If you have so much going on that you become overwhelmed, how do you overcome the desire to quit? Mm. I try my best to uh, practice the principles that we share with teachers and families, especially to really focus on my relationships and my connections with other people, whether that's family, friends, or you know, the great group of colleagues that I work with. Um, these connections really fill me up and they keep me going through tough times. Nice. Thank you. That's, uh, you get a lot of people that uh, they need to know how other people handle it. So I appreciate you saying that. Uh, last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Mm, I do. I do have a teacher who was an inspiration to me. Uh, Dan Latesto was my high school math teacher. He really took time to get to know me. He taught math, but he knew, for example, that I was a reader and he would recommend books and he would talk to me about what I was reading outside of school. Uh, his classroom was a place where kids could convene, you know, before school, after school, during lunch. And it really was a bit of a haven for me and for some other students. I, as an adult, I did have the opportunity to thank him and to know him professionally once I became a teacher, which was just a treat. Uh, but I'm always happy to thank him again for giving me a place to go and for being an adult that I could turn to. So thank you, Mr. Latesto. 
That is awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, hey, Emily, it was awesome talking with you. Thank you so much for sharing power of my learning with us. Uh, what a powerful focus. Wishing you the very best in all you do. Thank you so much again for having me, Steve. It was, it was a treat. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.